there's a distinction that can be made between prescription and description. Philosophers call this a distinction between normative claims and, I don't know, truth claims, I guess the idea. Truth claims and normative claims. Normative claims are claims about what's right and wrong, what somebody should have done, what they should not have done. I prefer, I don't like the word normative for some reason. I've always, I, I, I feel like I hear people use it in sloppy ways, and I'm not sure if it means like three different things and I just don't get it, or I think people just use it in sloppy ways. But I've heard John McWhorter put it this way, prescription versus description. John McWhorter, by the way, is a, a linguist. He has a very fun podcast, um, Lexicon Valley, and I guess it's through Slate. Obviously, you can get it anywhere, but to the Slate, the magazine, or the online magazine, whatever it is. So come to think of it, I think it was probably through his teaching company course. Yes, it was. He's done a couple of courses for this company called The Teaching Company, which I discovered them uh, 10, 15 years ago or something like that. By discovered, I mean they like they started mailing me things every single day. But um, I definitely recommend The Teaching Company. I have their streaming service now. He's a constantly. He's probably made the point in numerous places. I never read any books anymore, so I haven't read his books. I've kind of thumbed through them, one or two maybe, but prescription versus description. Often when people are talking about language, or often people have very strong attitudes about what you should be doing and what you should be saying when it comes to language. We're always irritated by pronunciations or you know someone used a word wrong or something like that. He makes the point that for linguists... They're not interested in prescription, which is how most of us talk about language. It's how you learn language, I suppose, in school. They're telling you how you are supposed to use it. For a linguist, they're interested in description. They just want to know, how do people actually use the language? Maybe an example of this would be the word ain't. I remember being told that ain't is not a word. I think to a linguist, ain't is a word. It's it's a word that people use, and therefore it's a word, and the linguist doesn't judge it um, beyond that in their capacity as a linguist. I've been thinking about how this distinction can be useful when thinking about the concept of blame. This is the kind of case I had in mind. Now, I'm going to make a case up, but I had, there were lots of events that happen in the that you hear about in the news and those are the cases i was really thinking about but the fact that applying these ideas to it what it did have uh, upsetting implications is, is part of the reason it's interesting but you know it's also the reason i, I want to pick an example that that's not gonna play with people's emotions so much i walk outside i get mugged this didn't actually happen this is my fictitious hypothetical now Let's think about the causes, and then we'll talk about blame, because that's what's elucidating here. When you do apply blame and you realize that you're making prescriptive statements as opposed to descriptive ones. Let's say I walk outside, I get mugged. One cause is the person mugged me. They attacked me and took my money. The other cause is I walked outside. I shouldn't say the other cause. We could come up with infinite causes. That was one of the revelations I had. But let's just take those two. One cause is the person attacked me and took my money. 
So that was a cause. Another cause is I, I went outside. See, this is the problem I was having. We wouldn't say that I was at fault. I was to blame. And yet it was clear to me that it's descriptively true that my going outside was a, a prerequisite. It, it had to happen in order for me to be mugged. And so in that sense, it is true that I made a choice that was one of the causes of my being mugged. So how do you deal with that if, of course, you can't, you can't say I'm to blame? But then this is the revelation. Because you, you, you think of blame as descriptive, like as if we're just talking about what actually happened. The, the blame is a prescriptive statement, a normative statement about what somebody should have or should not have done. We're kind of prescription in a loose sense. We're going to include what somebody should have refrained from doing as a prescriptive statement. So the causation part, that's descriptive. The choices that person made, those were causes. Choices that I made were also causes. Descriptively true. But I'm not to blame. Because blame isn't about causation exactly. It's partly about that. But it's about, it's a statement about whom we should be sanctioning for choices they've made. It's also a statement about how they or we should act in the future. Things we should do or things we should not do. So I found that very helpful because I was getting caught up in this problem of thinking about these cases where there's a perpetrator and a victim. <laughs> and I knew that it was true that the, perpetra the perpetrator made choices that caused the outcome, the crime to be committed. But I also knew it was true, just logically, the victim made choices that caused the crime to be committed. But <laughs> it was an upsetting thing to think about because I hadn't quite clarified to myself that Blame and causation are not the same thing. To say that the victim made choices that contributed causally to the event is not to blame them. I don't think, I've, I imagine almost nobody listening to this will agree with that. And this is why I'm not picking any real life cases because, and I think we're, I think people have a real problem with this idea of description and prescription. They have a tough time distinguishing between it. The other issue I've been thinking about is causation. A couple thoughts about causation. I've had this in the back. There's a couple of philosophical concepts I've been kind of wrestling with. And one is um, types of definitions, which I'll talk about some other time. The other is causation. I'll explain that in a second. But what I found kind of interesting is I started exploring some philosophical ideas about causation. I read some stuff online. I <laughs> read, you know... A piece of a book here and there. I watched a lecture or two or parts of them. And I was I was dabbling. What do the philosophers say about causation? I came across this book, Judea Pearl. Came across this book. It's a new book called The Book of Why. I thought this is incredible. I'm interested in this topic that seems esoteric. And this guy just wrote a book about it. So I was excited about that. I looked him up. I heard part of a talk. It was it was horrible. Uh, it was not it wasn't insightful. He mentioned a couple of things that I basically already knew, and the rest of it was just was just hard to listen to <laughs> and then this morning, I noticed sam harris who whose podcast i've listened to virtually every episode he's done a couple episodes with people I could not care less about um 
but actually this might be one of them. I'll listen to that. I haven't listened to it yet. It'd be funny if it's if it turns out to be insightful because after listening to, you know, 15, 20 minutes or something of, of this guy talk, I, whew, I, I gave up on Judea Pearl. I did find somebody who was really helpful. Oh, I'm thinking about causation. Douglas Kutach, I guess. He has a book called... Uh, just called Causation Key Cons... Oh, just called Causation. I guess I didn't write the subtitle. It's funny, I tried watching a talk of him, and his talk was disastrous too, so... Maybe sometimes authors... This makes a lot of sense, actually. People have a good book, but their talk sucks. That's probably something that happens. One thing to mention, there's this... Um, the, there are a couple things that are kind of well-known statements about causation in the history of philosophy that here's i think probably maybe the one thing i knew hume and uh, i didn't have these these terms on the top of my head but this was something i came across when i was thinking about uh, kind of looking into this recently um constant conjunction so we have this idea causation is um temporal priority temporal priority that means it just happened um, you know, if we have a, this is a piece I'm going to disagree with that I think philosophers disagree with now, but this is uh, Hume's idea, temporal priority. So when we talk about the cause for something, and again, the cause I think is something you want to get away from, but the cause has temporal priority. So if you had like 50 things happen that you could call the cause, it's, you know, the first 49 in some sense don't count, but the 50th one, we call that the cause, temporal priority spatial contiguity it happened it touched it they actually interacted you know the the domino that you know if you have 50 dominoes the 49th one hitting the 50th one is what caused the 50th 50th one to fall down so that's the spatial contiguity temporal priority and um constant conjunction oh well that that's the the idea with the constant conjunction is it happens consistently it always happens Every time you flick the light switch, the light comes on. So you say that switching the, <laughs> hitting the light switch causes the light to come on. That's the constant conjunction. They always happen together. So hopefully I haven't done too much of a disservice to Hume there. But those are, I kind of had a rough idea of that. And uh, that puts some terms on it that were, it was kind of helpful to find those terms. And I probably haven't described it perfectly, but that's the basic idea. So what is Douglas Kutach have to say to add to that. He made some basic points like singular versus general singular versus general causation, which is and I think this is even called token the singular I think is even called token causation, which is any single instance. So if I hit the switch and the light comes on, I could say my hitting the switch in this instance caused the light to come on. That one particular instance that's singular causation and general causation is you know, just that principle that every time you hit the switch, the light comes on. I think that's the idea. I found these other concepts much more enlightening. Background versus foreground causes. Proximal versus distal causes. And enabling versus activating or triggering causes. Some of these... You know, I, I didn't. I didn't. I only read a portion of his book because I'm I'm quite averse to bothering to delve deeply into a book nowadays. I just I really don't find it productive. It's it's much more useful to get some ideas and just grapple with them deeply. The background versus foreground causes. So, the example he gave was you're placing straws on the camel's back. Actually, we could use the dominoes I mentioned a minute ago too. 
Let's do the camel straws, though. So you place, let's say you have to place, uh, I don't know, 50,000 straws of hay on a camel's back. The 50,000th straw is the one that, that breaks it. So the, the point here is um, the 49.99 whatever, <laughs> all of those straws that happened before the final one, those are called, those are the background causes in the the final the final straw would be the foreground cause so that's kind of useful oh, one thing to and one point to make here is i don't think hume did this i could be wrong i think hume philosophers today generally agree that you want a how do they put it egalitarian theory of causation which is that all those other straws or all the dominoes before the the 49th one that hit the 49th that then hit the 50th they're all equally the cause so none of them is the cause they're they're all equally required uh, so they're looking for a philosophy that treats them all equally that i found interesting it, it very much conformed with my own intuitions about how you ought to think about causation one thing i'll throw out here i didn't mention the other thing i knew about philosophy that seemed relevant to causation was aristotle and his unmoved mover so this is the idea as I understood it, that, you know, if you think about it, everything can be explained in a long causal chain, I guess in a sense a web, but let's think of it as a chain just simply for now. Whatever is happening in this moment to you, well, it's caused by something that happened the moment before, then the moment before that, and you keep going back and back and back, and then you get, like, the formation of the solar system, and then you got, you know, the formation of the, the universe, so you bring everything back to the, the Big Bang. You could do that if you think about it. So it's like the, the 50th domino was knocked over by the 49th. Well, what caused that? Well, the 48th knocked the 49th over. So in a sense, the 48th caused the 50th as well. You can just keep going back and back and back. Aristotle's idea was at some point you need to reach back far enough that, no, no, let me put it differently. His point was that at some point there has to be a cause that has no cause. It's kind of a deep, cool idea, an unmoved mover. I like that. I don't know if Aristotle thought of that as God. I think Christian scholars adopted that as God. Proximal versus distal. Let's talk about those. Proximal means nearby in space and time. Distal just means distant. He gave the example, I believe, of the assassination of Julius Caesar. We'll say the conspiracy to assassinate Caesar was the proximal cause, the cause that's nearby in time and space to the assassination. However, there are other causes that are not nearby in time and space, such as Caesar's birth. Kind of like me walking out of my apartment was one of the causes one of the things that had to happen for me to be mugged, one of the things that had to happen for Caesar to be assassinated was he had to be born. So we would describe that as a cause. We'd say it's a distal cause as opposed to the proximal cause of the conspiracy to assassinate him. One thing I note here is that, of course, these are just two events in a very long chain. And again, I haven't fleshed, I don't have a picture of this in my head, but I think there's probably better language, a better model than a chain. It's probably more like a web, but we'll say a chain for now. These are just two events. You could pick a million events. I mean, I guess an almost, not literally, but an almost, you know, a practically speaking, um, uh, unlimited, infinite 
number of causes. And of course, what is an event would be kind of a a philosophical challenge to where do you draw the lines between events, but that's a separate issue. Enabling versus activating or triggering causes. If you imagine, this is a Seems like a strange example. This is the one I believe he used. A cow kicking over a, let's say a candle. A cow kicking over a candle. <laughs> it sets the barn on fire, and the barn is next to some other wooden structure, and that catches on fire. And it's actually a whole town made of uh, a densely constructed town with all wooden structures. And the whole town burns down because this cow kicked the candle. The activating or triggering cause was the cow kicking over the candle. The enabling cause was the density of wooden structures. So the fact that there were lots of wooden buildings close to each other was an enabling cause. So those are the different types of causation. They seem to overlap a lot, which isn't a huge deal. I don't know if... I thought about this a bit, and I did try to... I came up pretty close to coming up with some like tight definitions that didn't overlap with each other. But, you know, I kind of, I don't know that that was necessary or or 100% successful. The point is that those ideas gave me some vocabulary with which to speak about causation in a way that I didn't have it before, even though I had some of these ideas. I was thinking about these topics and realizing that, you know, something that happened, the Big Bang is as much a cause of you hearing my voice right now as the fact that you or someone in your vicinity hit play on the audio for this. It's equally a cause. That was kind of my intuition, or at least I knew that it was a cause. It was equally a cause, I guess I wasn't sure about. It sounds like philosophers have reached the same conclusion, so that's interesting.